Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Katie Bryan. Katie, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate having you. Can you share a little bit about Katie Bryan to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. I am a 30, I forgot my age then, a 32-year-old chartered accountant based in Melbourne, Australia. Um, I run a boutique advisory and accounting practice called Propeller Advisory. Um, And we focus on, I guess, businesses and founders within that real startup stage of their journey, the real growth stage of their business life cycle. Um, I have a very broad background in accounting. I kind of went on a very interesting journey to get there. Um, Should I go into that now? Uh, It's your show. It's a good segue. Take off. (laughs) Perfect. Um, So I studied, um, commerce in Queensland. I grew up in Queensland in Australia before moving to the cold, gloomy southern end of Melbourne. Um, And so I studied up there and I really only picked commerce as a subject because I wanted to be an entrepreneur um, and I wanted to start my own business. And I knew the one thing that I knew about starting a business was that I needed to understand the financial side of the business. be able to read a balance sheet and a PL, and most importantly, to really get my head around cash and how important cash is. Um, and I think we're seeing that as business owners now more than ever. Um, so I did that and I finished commerce and I never had any intention of going and being an accountant, but somehow I ended up as an accountant. Um, and I started off in the world of insolvency, which while at university, It was kind of talked about like insolvency as a career path was the cool version of accounting. Um, It it didn't involve so much numbers, but it was a lot more business based, I guess. Um, But I really struggled in insolvency. I found it really kind of hard on the soul, Mm. Um, very dark and dealing with people whose businesses are their babies, like all businesses are, but unfortunately they just haven't gone so well um, right. due to a lot of the times no fault of their own. Um, so I spent about 18 months in insolvency before deciding to move on. And I moved from there to a business services role, so doing taxes and that sort of thing. And I stayed in business services for quite a while until I got a bit of a taste of corporate advisory, um, which is actually what prompted my move to Melbourne. Um, I wanted to, I grew up on the Gold Coast and the Gold Coast is very small. The businesses are smaller um, and I wanted to get my hands dirty a little bit in the big bad city. Um, <laughs> so I packed up all my stuff and I ventured on down to Melbourne and I got a job in corporate advisory doing um, a little bit of CFO services work and some mm-hmm. mergers and acquisitions work and restructuring um, and I really loved it. I really loved that advisory side of the accounting world and being able to help businesses to grow and maybe implement strategies that they haven't thought of and systems and processes and that sort of thing. So that's how you, that's how you made it from the the beautiful sunny coast to Melbourne. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Now, I mean, I was an accounting major for 15 minutes in university 
So I, yeah. I, I had absolutely no acumen, no interest. Um, yeah. So I ended up majoring in economics because I love the theory of money, not the actual crunching and, and figuring out if so, it's a debit or credit. So how do you, tell me about the transition. So, I mean, you're obviously your, your initial education was not specific to accounting. So, and that seems like a, a pretty dramatic transition just based on, you know, the, the job that you had and, and the work that you were asked to do, you kind of, kind of almost evolved into that. It sounds like. Yeah, that's right. So I think in terms of actually making, it really was just an evolution, I believe. Um, I kind of researched a little bit about what was out there and available to me and what piqued my interest. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was always at that point, I think obviously I was a lot younger, um, and a lot smarter, <laughs> but every, everything was about building my intelligence and getting me to that next step. Um, so I think that that was why I made the decisions as I did. And I moved through the journey like that. Right. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the transition. So you said, you know, from an early age, you wanted to be an entrepreneur. So, um, I mean, did you have that in your family background? Did, did you know, were parents, you know, significant adults in your life or at an early age, were they in, involved in that? Or how did that, that, I guess that interest, how was that spurred in you? Yes. Yeah, so it was definitely something that came from my family background. Being a little girl, I always looked up to my dad and my dad was very entrepreneurial um, and had had his own business from the age of 16 or 17 I believe as an electrical contractor and he kind of just one day went out and bought a van and some tools and got a couple of clients and made it work um, he also owned restaurants and cafes and those sorts of things while I was younger as well so I really got to experience I guess the entrepreneurial life from a young age and I just knew that I wanted to be my own boss. Dad always spoke about never being able to work for someone and blah, blah, blah. And so I think that for me, I just really wanted to have control over my own life and my own journey and to kind of have, I guess, that, um, that desire um, to really get there was really exciting for me. When you were in those jobs kind of post-uni, did you know that these were short-lived assignments? No, not at all. Um, I've definitely went in to each job with the expectation that I would work my way up the ladder and get to be a partner in the firm at some point. Um, however, I just became, as soon as I knew my job, I then just wanted to move on and learn the next thing and the next thing. And so my roles were quite short-lived. I think the longest role that I had was two years within a business before I moved on to learn something new. So our, our, um, it was interesting. I, I was having another interview with a, with a guy that has, I think he started 14 businesses and he said, I'm really good at the launch. I'm really good at the creation, yeah, the yeah. ideation phase, getting things off the ground. But when it moves from kind of startup to maintenance, he said, I'm out of there. He said, it's over. I, yeah, my okay. interest wanes. I mean, that's almost like the description of an entrepreneur anyway. So, I mean, it's almost like we, we are driven by kind of the idea of, of creation and ideation and launch. Um, would you say that's a fair description of, of who you are today? And I'm, I'm, I don't try to talk you out of your current company, but I'm just curious about how you're wired. Yeah, I'm actually quite curious about that as well. Um, 
this year will be Propeller's fourth year in business and we're still very much on a very growth path. Um, everything's still very exciting and very new and winning a new client. I still do a little jam- dance around the <laughs> office and get, get really excited. Um, so I don't think that we're in that maintenance phase yet, but I'm really interested and a little bit scared to see what happens then. Um, yeah. I wonder whether I will be kind of, all right, let's do something else now. I mean, one thing with, with growth, I mean, it's, it's as you're scaling up, it's almost like you're restarting over and over and over again. So maybe that's one thing that you can, you can kind of, kind of look at and say, this is like relaunching over and over again type thing. So I, I think the, uh, the question that, that came to mind was, you know, this idea of, you know, in, as you're in growth, that you, it's almost like you're in constant startup mode, you know, things change the size of your staff changes, the challenges change. I mean, that may keep you interested. Four years ago and what I kind of did to get it started, which wasn't a lot, it was I made the decision on a whim. Um, I didn't have much cash in the bank and I kind of just did what I could at the time. And then how the journey changed with each new employee, basically, and each new client, you kind of came across new challenges and new stumbling blocks and you started to then understand Um, how important it is to have systems and processes in place and to have them implemented effectively before you go huge in terms of challenges that you can come across. And I think it is like it's um, developing the strategies to come through them and to continue on and hoping that you have continued past that first strategy before you come, come across the next challenge, basically. Tell me that first day or that last day you walked out of your kind of corporate job knowing you were walking into something else. Tell me that feeling. Uh, it was so incredibly daunting. Um, it was interesting as well because I worked in corporate advisory and I was doing mergers and acquisitions at the time. And half of what I did was for the industrial market and half of what I did was for accounting firms. Um, so the reason why I decided to start Propeller was because I went and I met with 100 plus accounting firms within 18 months um, and I saw a huge gap in the market where there was all this cloud-based software out there but there were so many accounting firms that just weren't using it and they still had piles of paperwork on their desk and there were no female leaders, um, specifically in the smaller firms in the larger firms there were but in the one or two or three partner firms there weren't very many female leaders Um, and I just kind of thought well if I can go out there and I can be the first female-led accounting firm in Melbourne like how good would that be Um, and what sort of market could I then be getting getting involved with and providing with these other female founders an opportunity which they haven't had before and that's working with a female accountant Um, so I was excited because of that, because I thought I was doing something new, um, but I was so scared. It was kind of, I didn't, because I came from corporate advisory, I didn't have what a lot of other people have had when they go and they start their firms and they take some clients with them um, or something. So they automatically have, I guess, a bit of a salary from the beginning. I had nothing and my annually in my bank account um, <laughs> and a crappy little desk set up at home, but it worked. Um, so, I mean, it was scary as it was, and it continued to be scary for a long time and probably is still scary now. Um, it worked, which is good. How long did it take you to get your first client? 
Not long. So I have an amazing friend called Ben and he has an accounting firm on the Gold Coast where I grew up and we worked in a couple of firms together throughout our career. And I called him and I said, look, I'm going to do it. Actually, he said to me, look, you have to do it. And I said, okay, I'll do it. And he said, to help you out, I've got a client down there in Melbourne. I'm going to keep doing their accounting work, but I'll give you the bookkeeping work. If you want to do the bookkeeping work, it'll be this much money a week and it will be enough to like get you, get you started. And it was. And so I had secured that client within two weeks. And I had a little bit of money coming in, which was enough to feed me and pay my rent um, until I got the next client. And then they kind of all just started coming in in very weird, odd and unusual ways. Um, I think the second client that I got was a retail store. They manufactured and sold furniture. They still do. They're still a client. and they were next to this original client. Unfortunately, they, that original client no longer exists. Um, but they were next to the original client. And I went in there and I bought a plant off this woman. Uh, what sort of point of sale system is she using? And does it talk to her zero file? And all of these questions. And then all of a sudden she wanted to know why was I asking her these really weird questions? Um, and I led into the fact that, well, I've just started my own accounting and bookkeeping business and it'd be really cool to show her some point of sale systems that might work better for her, et cetera, et cetera. And that was kind of my way in and they're still a very valued client. And yeah, I think a lot of clients in the beginning came through that journey of just putting myself out there and asking clever questions. And this was in 2016, what year? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Okay, so 2016. So kind of walk us through the kind of the growth from 2016 to today, like, you know, size of your team, yeah. you know, client base, that type of thing. Yeah, cool. Um, so I started the firm at home. I had just myself and my laptop and a desk in the corner. And the growth was fast, but gradual. Um, does that make sense? I don't know. Um, and I guess back then, I started Propeller. First, I'll just talk about my intention. So my intention was to start Propeller as a CFO services firm, and that was all I wanted to do. So I, want to provide, I wanted to provide that outsourced part-time CFO role to businesses that couldn't afford to have a full-time CFO. Um, and so, therefore, my target was going to be more that startup business. Um, back then in 2016, a part-time CFO wasn't a thing that people were aware of so much. And so there was a lot of education that had to come along with that piece. And it was more about educating the market. And I think now, like within the last 18 months, people are starting to understand that that is a role that's out there. But in 2006, that wasn't a role. Um, Or if it was just... um, I think we did like a keyword search at some point and the amount of people that searched it was so few, it was ridiculous. Um, so that was my, that was my vision. And it was different to that. I found that getting bookkeeping clients and tax clients was a lot easier than getting a CFO services client. And so my business changed a little bit in that respect. My target market changed because of that as well. So instead of going for businesses with um, revenue between two and 50 mil, I was more going for businesses with revenue between 500 K Five. Um, and our target market has stayed there. 
Uh, and I really enjoy working with those businesses. They seem to really appreciate and value our service, um, which is good. And we provide a good service offering for that level of client. In terms of growth of team, I think that was the hardest and scariest thing for me to do was putting on that first team member. And that's the key client question that I get from a lot of clients as well is when do I make my first hire? Like when do I know it is the right time? And I think in terms of that journey, a thing that I say to a lot of my clients is business or you want to be working on the business. And so right. therefore it's just a matter of whether you can afford them or not. If, yeah. yeah. Kind of the email. Um, so I hired my first team member within the, yeah, that's exactly and I read the myth and I loved it um, before I started my business. So I just had that mentality in mind throughout that journey. So I hired quite quickly. Um, within the first six months, I put on a friend, which is a bad move. <laughs> um, and I think everybody does it once, but you yep. should never do it. Um, and then, yeah. And then I had a guy called Andy and he's still an employee of mine come in wanting an internship. And so I put him on. Um, and he's fabulous, which is good. And we, my, after that, I got a mentor, uh, which I think is so important to have a mentor or some sort of advisor that's there that you can ask questions of, especially when you're going through this journey on your own. Like if you're a sole business owner, you need someone that you can ask these tough questions of. It's right. so important. Right. Um, so I spoke to him about, okay, so I've got all this work. What do I do? Like, do I just continue doing it? And he said, well, I, I've got a team of 20 in the Philippines, so why don't you look at doing that? Um, and so I did. I hired three part-time girls at the same time in the Philippines just because I wanted to try them out and I didn't expect them to be good, but they were all fabulous. Um, and so two of them stayed on part-time for a long time. They actually just came on full-time at the start of this year and one of them became full-time quite quickly. And so I had a Philippines back office, which was awesome. That was so good in terms of the bookkeeping and the processing right. and eliminating a lot of the work that I had to do until I got a more senior person. Right. Uh, yeah. And so now yeah, we've got yeah. a team of, yeah, now we've got a team of seven. Four are in the Philippines and four are here. Sorry, team of eight. Four are in the Philippines and four here. One's admin. So... When I mean, you talk to your the services you're providing. I'm I'm assuming more kind of the bookkeeping tax side of things, less audit. Um, yeah. I mean, are do you do audits as well? We don't do any audits. We do bookkeeping, tax, and the CFO services. So it's 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 the uh, the side of accounting that people actually can appreciate. It's it's yeah. You're, you're not the one right. that comes in and tries to find things that are that are wrong in the books there. So yeah. No way. <laughs> no, no. We we're trying to help our businesses more. Um, I guess if we find things wrong, as we do as accountants, obviously, um, it's because we've investigated it to try to figure out how to make things more efficient and how to make things run more smooth. Exactly. I am, uh, I'm curious. So you started this say four years ago, what would you say would be, um, really two or three key lessons that you think you've learned that you kind of wish you knew then, uh, four years ago that would make life much easier today. I mean, you mentioned one about, you know, don't hire friends. Yeah, that's one. Definitely. Um, so I think I've definitely, I've spent a lot of time thinking about how I would do things differently if I could start over. Um, what the first thing would be making sure that I develop systems and processes 
to run before starting the business. Once you get busy, it is so hard to develop those systems and processes. I think if you spend some time actually thinking about that side, how you're going to run the admin side of your business, how you're going to run your um, service offering, whatever it is, that's so important. Um, also spend some time defining your service offering. I kind of just jumped in and made it up as I went along. And I think that life would be a lot simpler if I had spent some time actually defining what my service products that I was offering rather than just saying yes to everything that kind of came through the door. Um, the third thing would be to don't go junior when you hire your first person. Hire someone, provided you can afford it, try, go part-time if you need to go part-time. But I think having that senior person there to be your support um, is really important. And if, when you hire junior and you've got to spend so much time training plus doing right. the work that they can't do, it just really sucks so much time away from you and becomes less beneficial than you're probably hoping it to be. I, I love that that third piece of advice. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it is so crucial. I mean, I've done a number of these interviews and and rarely do people do people talk about that. You know, when they're yeah. or saying bringing people on because you're right, it's easy to default to, you know, a more junior person, one that might not cost as much that, you know, that uh, you I, I really want to mold them in my image, you know, I want to train mm-hmm. them. But, but the fact that you spend so much time trying to get them up to speed, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And it really is just a time sucker, basically, mm-hmm. for want of a better term. Um, I think it can get in there and hold your hand and say, come on, Katie, let's do this together, um, rather than kind of just taking more and more time away from you. What, do you think that it's important to give them equity, you know, early stage, or is it, I mean, does it depend on their passion and what you want to do as the, as the owner of the business? I mean, do, do you think they respond any differently if they're receiving equity versus just, just, in, just a, you know, a salary? I'm a strong believer in the fact that if someone is going to have, it's going to be given equity in my firm and they need to be able to show that they can build a book of business. So generally, like you just say someone wanted to have, I don't know, a percentage of my firm and that equated to $200,000, then I would expect them to have brought in $200,000 worth of new client work to my firm that allows them to then buy into the firm. This then just gives me, I guess, confidence that they can contribute to the growth of the firm ongoing and that it's not just me that's relied on to grow the firm um, because that, as any business owner knows, it's a lot of pressure. And it's right, good to absolutely. have someone else. Yeah. I, I love the yeah. way you, you, you initially framed that. You said, they don't mind working nine to five, but they want to go home and be able to forget. <laughs> yeah, that's they don't right. Want to exactly. Think about it twenty four seven like you do. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> Especially with everything that's going on in the current climate, like waking up at three o'clock, and I've been th- no. trying to think of strategies about how my clients can pivot and all sorts of things, and keeping me up at all hours. I mean, <laughs> what a great segue. I mean, you know, in this current climate of the you know COVID nineteen, the coronavirus. Just as we wrap up today, just give me one or two strategies that you that you've kind of thought through or you've worked with clients through or you even thought about for your own business about, you know, how do you navigate this, this, uh, you know, this kind of pandemic, this crisis that, that we're facing this financial crisis? And how do you kind of weather this storm? Yeah, so I think that there's a couple of really key items to consider and it differs for every business. Um, there's a lot of businesses out there that can pivot 
And I think if you can pivot, whether you're a gym and you can go online um, or you've got a restaurant business and you can up your takeaway or your take-home meals or whatever it is, um, those sort of opportunities out there. I know here in Australia we've got big designer brands um, that are now making protective gear for Mm -hmm. the people in hospitals. Um, So just, like, is there a way that you can leverage the current market to... Um, change your business a little bit or um, review your service model in a way that you can continue on because the aim of the game at the moment is survival. Um, It's not necessarily making money or huge profits or anything like that, but it really is just seeing yourself out at the other end. Um, The second, and probably should have said this first because it is the most important thing, it's about building your cash war chest, I guess, and just trying to get as much cash in your account as possible that will see you through the other side of this. Generally, we want to have done this before um, a pandemic hits, but if there is a way for you to really knuckle down and collect your debtors or reduce some of your costs, um, make the most of government subsidies, and loans and those sorts of things just to see you through, then I think that that's the most important piece of advice that I can give. I mean, it's interesting listening to the, the, you know, as you were talking about the very first, I mean, nothing in early in the interview talking about kind of your, your career path that you've gone on up to this point, nothing is wasted. So, I mean, people may view you as, as an accounting firm, as a, as a financial services, you know, firm, but you are you bring so much more to the table because you were in advisor, you were in consultancy, mm-hmm. you were you've been in in a number of different different roles, and you can advise them in in you know much broader scope than just you know their their books, so to speak. And I mean, as if I was your client, I would I would find that very valuable to especially in, in a time like this to to be able to come to you and sit down and and you can kind of counsel me through the the difficulties and from, from experience, not just speculation. So um, I, I want to applaud you in that. And I, I think that that is going to be very crucial moving forward, not just in the clients you're dealing with, but even in, you know, networking groups you're in and, you know, just how you interact with other business owners in, in Australia for sure. And, and even globally. Yeah. Thank you so much. I definitely viewed my resume as Um, a bad thing when I was still employed by people. As I started my business and I continue along this journey, I can see how all the different experience that I had has enabled me to provide such a great impact to my clients in so many different ways than, say, a traditional accountant would be able to. Well, Katie, I I thank you for just taking the time to get today and just sharing with us. Is there anything that you just want to just really quickly just wrap up, you know, anything I haven't touched on you want to wrap up with and then just tell people where's the best place to find you online? Yeah, um, I think you've covered everything. It's been fabulous talking to you today. So thank you so much being able to listen to podcasts like your own, which I love, by the way, is really provides something extra for us to be able to be doing with our time. Um, People can find me on Twitter which is at ADV. They can find me on Instagram at Advisory, And I'm also on LinkedIn under Katie Bryan. Well, we will certainly have those in the, in the show notes. And Katie, thank you right. for just joining us today and just sharing your story and, and much broadly, more broadly than that, just sharing how, you know, some, some real tips on how to kind of navigate this, this difficult financial environment we find ourselves in, but really just, you know, 
giving us good advice and just helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Katie, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.